A young entrepreneur, a designer, a developer, never before has it been easier to get your new venture off the ground. Whether you're just getting started or have already begun your journey, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we will dive into a new challenge, breaking it down into simple, digestible terms. I'm Dimitri. And I'm Thanasis. And you're listening to Listen, Ship, Repeat. This is episode number one. Hi there, Thanasis. So we're finally here. Our first episode. Yeah, finally. I'm so excited. We've been uh, organizing this for so many months, right? We have. We have. Um, and uh, what are we going to be discussing today? Today we're going to be talking about team composition. So how you should, uh, you know, how many people you should have at each different stage of your startup, starting out as, a, as an okay. idea and then moving on up to... Uh, Series A funding and beyond. Awesome. Um, let's tell uh, the people that are listening to us a little bit about ourselves. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, Thanasis, and uh, tell us a bit about uh, uh, about yourself and what you've done. All right. So I come from a technical background. I've been in the high-tech industry for over 20 years. Um, I've started and uh, resolved uh, many startups of my own and worked for other startups as well. Currently, in my life, in my career right now, I've been doing contracting for the past five years remotely, mostly in uh, CTO capacity roles in uh, startups, taking them from zero to 10. And all the while, in the background, I run my SaaS business, my startup, for the past two years. And uh, we're going to have the chance to talk about that uh, later on. What about you? Same. Uh high-tech background. I've been working for startups for a while now, more than 10 years. I've also uh, founded my own startup. I used to have uh, a gaming startup for uh, iOS when the App Store first uh, appeared for casual games. I used to work on that for a couple of years. It was a bootstrapped, self-funded startup. Um, Later on, I went to work for uh, a, a freelancing uh, marketplace uh, where I founded the uh, mobile app arm of that company. Uh, I was the lead developer in that and uh, also uh, product uh, leadership until we brought that to market. More recently, I've been uh, working lead development roles and currently I'm uh, working for a, a shipping uh, startup uh, as a lead uh, mobile developer and uh, that's pretty much it. All right. So, yeah, well, I didn't define my role. Uh, my main expertise today is on Node.js. I'm primarily a backend developer, although I lay my hands on front-end applications. So lately, I love React. <laughs> We're going to have the chance to talk about that too as well. Yep, yep. So um, let's talk a little bit about the scope of the podcast. Uh, Dimitri, what, uh, what's the idea here? We are going to be discussing about uh, what uh, issues a founder uh, might be uh, running into uh, when they would like to begin uh, a startup business on the internet. 
the way I like to see it is uh, the operations of your podcast. And the analogy I like to make is to view your startup operation as a production line, perhaps. At the beginning of your production line is the conception of what you're making, your product, and what have you. Uh, along the production line, you're enriching your product experience. And at the end of the production line, you have the uh, complete product, which you will uh, be able to uh, finally uh, and happily ship to your customers. And I'm sure they'll love it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. The, the idea here is, and again, we are great uh, podcast fans, both of us. We've been listening to podcasts for many, many years, over five years, as long as I can remember. And the idea here is that we are taking, uh, we're talking about startups from the technical approach, not from a marketing standpoint. There are more than enough podcasts on that uh, subject. We are exploring the technicalities of uh, a startup from our point of view as uh, lead developers, as very specialized developers. And uh, to that extent, we want to explain to non-technical founders the intricacies and challenges that uh, come with uh, starting up. And uh, so this podcast is primarily directed at uh, non-technical founders that want to have a good understanding of uh, the environment they're going to get into, the market, the industry. And of course, um, developers and CTOs can benefit as well by you know listening and exchanging ideas on architecture and uh, how we approach and uh, think about uh, stuff. So, uh, you know, your input on whatever we say is always welcome to that end. Okay, then. Um, let's look at the uh, overview that we're discussing tonight. You mentioned before uh, prototype, the funded stage, and uh, the Series A. If you'd like to uh, say a quick point for each of these stages, Thanasis, and then we'll move on to the specifics and the analysis and uh, of each individual stage. Right. So when we're talking about team composition, we have to specify the stage at which the company is. Um, and let me be clear about team composition. This is the, the team that you are going to hire. So we approach this from a financial perspective in the terms of what kind of expenses you are going to incur uh, by building a team in the different stages. And those different stages, you know, um, are very are pretty broad, but I think that everybody can relate to them. The first one is the prototype stage, where um, you just build, want to build something scrappy that kind of is proof of concept of what you're saying so that you can convey your message. And the second stage is the moment that uh, that something that you build has convinced somebody enough to fund you, and you are now in the struggle for product market fit with your product. And uh, once you have achieved product market fit, you're then in the growth stage, which means that you have also secured a series A round of funding. So we have these three very distinct stages in, uh, throughout the life of a startup. Of course, there are always exceptions, there are always different paths, but more or less ballpark, this is, these are the three stages a startup has to take. Okay. Uh in addition to all these, there's uh, stuff that applies to all stages. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, right. So there are some things that uh, you know everybody should be aware of if they are already not. Um, for instance, hiring developers 
is extremely hard and it's becoming ever harder as the demand grows more than uh, what uh, the universities can offer. So there's a very big uh, deficit there in, uh, in talent and uh, that is something that uh, you should be aware of, that uh, you should uh, take under consideration and uh, understand and realize that this changes your position, right? Your, let's say, bargaining position or um, how is it will be for you eventually to build up the team that you want to build. And uh, to that end, you're going to have to make a very lucrative offer uh, to attract uh, developers. And this, I have to say, is becoming even ever more harder as developers have gone and passed through startups for the past five, ten years that here we are experiencing a, you know, um, a second golden age uh, after the 90s in the dot-com uh, industry. So uh, many developers have gone through the startup grind, uh, working many hours for very low salaries uh, with ultimately no reward. Because, let's face it, uh, having a startup succeed is a one in a thousand chances, right? So for the 999 companies that developers worked on to, they didn't have a good experience ultimately, right? So you're going to have to play that flout a little bit stronger, a little bit better to attract the kind of talent that you are going to need to build your startup. True. Actually, great point about uh, the universities. I haven't looked at a syllabus in a while, but the way stuff comes in and out of existence constantly, uh, I'll be very curious uh, to look into that. Uh, exactly what they're doing these days, schools and universities. Uh, in addition to what you said about uh, the, the startup experience, uh, I'd like to mention uh, hiring developers is hard, like you said. One of the things that you will be dealing with is uh, turnover, uh, people coming and going. Uh, if you build a good enough culture, you keep your people happy enough, you won't have to deal with that phenomenon. But nonetheless, uh, in my experience, even uh, in the best environment, people tend to move on. So some people tend to panic with that or uh, uh, don't know exactly how to handle it. Um, I just say it's a reality that you have to deal with. It's part of the, the process. So in that case, in addition, don't panic. Try to cultivate a documenting culture so people can hand over the stuff easier. Um, treat them well uh, if you treat them well enough they probably <laughs> won't leave in the first place but if they do they might give you ample time uh, for notice and uh, trend replacement um, I've certainly been that person in my um, career so far and there's a plus side to that building relationships uh, building a network, you never know uh, when you'll run into each other again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, roles uh, roles do change over time. I mean, today my my CEO is, might be my CTO in the five years. You never know how things come and uh, what life um, holds for you. And even though it seems a no-brainer that you have to be a nice guy and uh, that is what you're going then to receive as a behavior, 
Unfortunately, it isn't always the case. And uh, here is something else that uh, non-tech founders, people coming into the industry without understanding it, need to understand is that uh, developers, tech people, marketeers, social support, everybody is inside the technology. They are very highly networked people. They always and constantly communicate. They blog, they tweet, uh, they use and uh, you know leverage the social media. So if uh, if you are anything else but a you know a, a very kind and good person and a good boss and a fair one. Uh, that is going to show, that is going to be talked about and uh, the community is smaller than it seems in that respect. And uh, that brings us to the point of culture that you're going to cultivate. And culture boils down to you, to your character. And it's something that you should have been working up to today in order to be able to then um, pass it on to your first, second, third hires, right? Because let's face it, your uh, your choices in personnel in the first, second, third hire, they are your choices and they, they are going to play a very significant role in, in the company culture. Say that uh, you grow up to 100 uh, people, right? So the first five, 10 people are the ones that are going to pass on the light to the next 90 ones. So everything starts with you. Nice. Uh, that gives a nice overview. Um, let's move into more specific stuff. So like we mentioned earlier, the very first stage is uh, your prototype stage. It's something that's uh, barely working. It's a point in the life cycle of your product where the wires are hanging. And if you touch it, you might electrocute yourself. If you were making like an Instagram app, the, the camera will barely... Uh, what function and you only have one filter so having said that what you're looking at this stage is as quickly as possible to get somebody on board higher for the present for now uh, even higher in terms of you won't be around in several months which is a possibility this is a you mentioned a, a very nice statistic earlier thanasis um which brings you to the point that you have to hire for your immediate needs for what you want to build now, not necessarily based on what qualifications uh, people have. That would help you uh, down the line and just make sure you don't lose your long-term vision. That always exists. But for now, just somebody, preferably somebody that's built something similar before, if not something similar, maybe something that uh, in the same market you've worked on somebody that can uh, start right away and somebody that can build something uh, functional, which is your prototype. Right, exactly. And to add on top of that, so, you know, I had many examples of uh, throughout my career where this happened. So, for instance, uh, a startup that wants to do uh, a charting application, which is a real-time thing and, uh, you know, wanted to mix in uh, some real-time video into that. Um, its original uh, job advertisement was for a WebRTC technician, uh, which is the underlying technology that enables uh, real-time video conference calls by just using your browser. Um, but what they should be looking for is a well-rounded developer that can 
building their first prototype. Because if you are going to get that highly specialized WebRTC engineer, uh, it's, uh, it's most probably that he won't be able to do the full up and down work that's required to do, uh, for a prototype, right? And to that extent, the, the advice here is that you need to hire first off a single developer, uh, secondly, a developer that um, can deliver you the product that you need front and back end, right? So in, uh, in the web development world, we have the back end, which is our server, the service, and we have the front end, which is the application code that runs on the browser, on our customers, on our clients. And uh, those are two very distinct uh, specialties in the world of uh, web development. However, there are people that can fluently do both. And that's the kind of person that you should be looking into to make your first prototype. And uh, since again, like we said, we are approaching this from an economic uh, standpoint, uh, doing the prototype, you shouldn't employ more than one developer. Just focus single-handedly on the one platform that you believe you have the more chances to penetrate rather than going for a, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do iOS. I'm going to do log, uh, you know, native Android, <laughs> Blueberry, Windows, and web, everything, and uh, come out to the world and excite them. No, you know that this is not how, how it works, and that's not a progress to explain it. So uh, stick to a single developer that's well-rounded, that can deliver you everything that you need, and... Um, make sure that uh, if it is a junior developer that they have some kind of supervision so if you're a non-tech founder and you're on a budget uh, you are going to have to hire a junior developer however junior developers are not qualified to build an application from the ground up they do not have they simply do not have the experience to do that uh, they do not understand the architecture involved the infrastructure they simply haven't done it enough times in their lives and as such unless your product is something that you want to make a prototype throw it away and then rewrite it you're going to have to need somebody that knows what they're doing and i'm not talking about having him you know that's that's not a second hire this is a part-time hire and it's the outsourcing part that you should be doing. Uh, like, for instance, you should outsource design at that stage. So you outsource the architecture and the quality of your code, of your product. So you're not going to have to redo it at a later time. And I'm not talking more than three, four hours per week for a senior developer to keep tabs and synchronize with uh, the junior developer that you have. Your um, senior developer... Uh if you opt to select one in a supervisor role, uh, you can look at getting somebody part-time and depending on um, how much uh, funds you have at this stage, um, having somebody highly specialized, highly skilled, uh, uh, with a high seniority level, you'd probably be looking at getting a part-time person for that. Your full-time person, your single developer, again, somebody that will be uh, with you 
uh, every day, all day. Could be probably somebody with uh, less seniority. But again, depends on uh, how much compensation you're willing to offer. And at your prototyping level, uh, there's also looking to get somebody uh, for a very short period of time, a contract, a defined period, just enough to get your prototype up and running. And after that, continue cooperating with them or switch to the uh, one of the other uh, two options that I just mentioned. At this stage, uh, it'll be interesting to mention um, where to find these people. In my point of view, uh, in my experience, I work a lot with uh, the network uh, that I've amassed uh, over the years. I've certainly had roles that I went through the entire recruitment and interview process and was uh, selected in the end, which is great and fine. And the large percentage of uh, employment is still fine like that. But I've also been in positions where um, I knew somebody and I was on board right away. Uh, obviously had to speak to a few people, but I had somebody vouch for me. And in reverse, uh, I've vouched for other people and I've had uh, great experiences bringing people uh, aboard uh, fairly quickly that I knew them. And uh, there were great additions to the team. So the larger thing that you have to consider here is that uh, depending on where you are in a career, let's say you're starting out, let's say you're one of the younger people in our audience, uh, like uh, you said to nice before, be nice, don't burn your bridges. And uh, getting to know people does not stop at the end of your current role uh, or at the beginning of the next one. You can always tap into them. So it it always be nice to look them up when you're first starting at, at the uh, prototype stage in this case. If you went through your network, if you don't have your network, uh, you can also look at one degree further out and uh, find somebody uh, that one of your contacts knows. So looking at people that you know or people that know each other. And that falls back to what I said previously. Uh, if you know them, you can vouch for them. If somebody that you know and you trust can vouch for them, it's pretty much the same thing. And it works well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, network is the most important thing. That's what you should be doing and building and working on from day one, the moment that you want to enter that industry. If you don't have a network, you are 20 steps behind. And um, when you are indeed uh, out there looking for somebody to hire and you don't know nobody, then your only choice is to either hire a person that has some kind of social proof so you can check them out uh, you know their social networks what they write uh, what other developers think of them and that would be your senior developer that you would hire on a part-time basis as a consultant to help you make the hires that you need the other solution is to go with an agency but those two subjects those kind of choices are that much complex and that much uh, things have to be said about them that we should make a different episode just entirely on that subject. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, yeah, so let's move on to the next stage, which is 
the funded or product market fit stage. It's when your startup has, you've grown out of the prototype stage. You're well equipped now. You know, stuff is real. Uh, right, right. So at that stage, you are for the first time building your first uh, development unit. And let's, let's stand here for a moment and explain what a unit is. And we call it a vertical unit because um, it employs uh, all disciplines of web development. So a unit is uh, a team of five, six, no more than seven people of uh, different specialties. So you have uh, a guy or two in the back end, working on the back end. You have uh, a developer uh, or two uh, working on the front end. And uh, depending or the, on the product specific, uh, you know, target platform. So it's a website, it's a mobile uh, application. What's the target audience? Then you have, uh, you beef up more the front-end part or the application development part. Uh, Dimitri will explain this to us more about that. You also include in the team a designer and you also have in the team a person to do the QA or you can share it between other teams so it can be a department and so on. However, it's better if uh, the QA is attached to the team because in that way they, uh, they get to know each other better, they develop their own code of communication so this is what we call a vertical unit okay it's uh, one two developers on the back end one two developers on the front end a designer and uh, QA now if I may quote Dave McClure uh, from 500 startups uh, what he said is a startup all it needs is a hustler a developer and a designer which is kind of true, and that's also true for the prototyping stage, and that's why you only need one developer. Uh, the hustler is actually the CEO. That's <clears throat> that's what uh, <laughs> their function is. And of course, uh, you need the designer, and you need the the kind of quality of design that you're going to need uh, depends on the market that you are addressing, right? So if you are a consumer product you need to have top-of-the-line, top-notch design. You stand no chance otherwise. If you are a B2B, depending on the market that you are talking to, then, you know, design may not ma matter that much. However, having an aesthetically, an, uh, aesthetically pleasant website uh, always gives you extra points in whatever goal you have. So... Yeah, that's it. I think uh, we've explained what a unit is, and this is what you need to build now in the product market fit stage. And uh, things are starting to get more complicated here. So, Dimitri, what about if it is a mobile application? It could be a mobile application. It could be a desktop application. It could be an embedded application, an Internet of Things, an IoT application. That's where you're... Um, your app developer comes in. I'll uh, juxtapose that against uh, the front-end front end, uh, developer that you mentioned earlier, uh, Thanasis. So uh, we're funded, but we're still not the richest startup there is. So we had to make that choice between the two. And that's always dependent on uh, the application uh, you're building. If you feel that 
you can get by with your front-end web developer, go that route. If you feel that you need uh, the app developer, go something native, or even if your startup is not web-related at all, you can go uh, with your app developer. Uh, design is, is very important. I think uh, you're very right in what you said earlier. Uh, you can forget about having a consumer product these days without being beautiful. I think that's par for the course. Now, your enterprise app, okay, uh, it's not the end of the world if it looks like uh, Craigslist or something, which I still think is functional. But I think there's a lot of these enterprise startups these days they're focusing a lot on uh, design also. So your designer will be uh, making uh, your newsletters, your landing pages, will be responsible for your redesign, uh, your branding. Uh, in, in case of uh, applications, they'll also be uh, integrated into the app development and design uh, process. I, I work with the designer very closely on a day-to-day -day basis these days. QA was uh, brought up, uh, often misunderstood. Uh, I see it as an important role. Definitely not something that could be seen as a luxury by some people. Um, if you're serious about what you're making and you want it to be at a very good level, at least when you come out, so you're not doing live patches and live hotfixes on day one, it'll be nice to have a, a QA process. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, talking about CEOs, um, that could be something that uh, your hustler could have been uh, looking at early on in uh, this stage if uh, the development skills uh, aren't the strongest point. Right. And uh, since we've gone over the what is a vertical unit and what's the team that you're going to build, let's talk about how you're going to build it now. And uh, what I want to stress out is that you cannot make jumps right? You cannot go, go from point A to point uh, Z. Uh, you have to grow the team naturally. Uh, you cannot go and hire five developers in one, at once. Uh, this has to happen, um, you know, in a step-by-step -step process. And up to now, you had a single developer. Uh, your communication was ad hoc between you two. There wasn't really any procedures in place. Everything happened. Uh, spontaneously, uh, impromptu, and uh, however the case you might have to reach at that point. From here on out, hiring your second, third uh, developer, technical person, you're going to need to have processes. You're going to need to have uh, operations. So um, how do you onboard a new developer? Uh, it's not as simple as uh, here's the code base. You have to introduce them to the infrastructure that has already been created, the databases, um, the project uh, dependencies. There are a lot of stuff and without proper documentation and checklist, this can take many, many days. I've, I've been hired into companies with no procedures at all and it took me up to a week to set up my development environment, uh, whereas if it's a checklist that is very well and strongly documented, it can take no more than three to four hours. So this stuff, this documentation has to be built. It's part of the process of uh, scaling your team. 
and uh, from here on then you also start having the issues of what we call code base scaling and this is where the code quality starts to come up uh, if up to this point the junior developer was unintended and uh, created uh, implementations of his own imagination that nobody can relate to and they are you know written in a way that only the one that wrote them really understands them then the new developers coming in are going to have a very hard time familiarizing themselves with the code base so they can be productive and uh, those things although they seem nuanced and uh, neglected really matter because at the end of the day time wasted is money wasted and uh, while startups do have money they do not have time and this is something very critical and this is where the important decision of choosing a CTO comes, right? Because 99% of that job of building the operations, the procedures, the documentation, onboarding, the DevOps, you know, how, how our code base by the moment we finish with it and we submit it and push it uh, to the servers uh, gets actually deployed on production. All of that operations, all of those operations and procedures are going to be defined by your CTO. And if your CTO hasn't done that before, or doesn't know how to do that, then be rest assured that it's going to be chaos. And it's going to be chaos for a long time. And you're going to have problems. You're not, you're going to feel desperate. You're going to feel like there's no solution to the, to what you're living in and uh, things break and things that were fixed break again and again and again. And you reach to a point where you realize that you cannot move forward any longer. And that's the point where you don't want to be. And this is what I've been stressing out all along today, is that uh, you, you cannot trust a junior developer to build your infrastructure and your product. You, they need supervision. And this can only happen through a senior developer, that if you manage to have him on board from the beginning, then that would be your choice once you have money for choosing him as a CTO. Isn't that right, Dimitri? It is. It is. Um, I'll just say that it's never the end of the world. Like life, even a startup is a learning process. I'm sure we, we both come up with stuff we haven't dealt before uh, previously. And just because we have a certain degree of experience, maybe... Uh, that allows us to navigate and learn stuff easier uh, without drowning. I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Right. So, Dimitri, consider this. Uh, even if it's, uh, you know, we've been working for other companies, right? We have. And so uh, that that's our training right there. And uh, today, even if we didn't have any CTO roles or lead development roles, if we go and went to do it for the first time, we, have, we would have seen something. We would have some ideas of how these things work out of our experience just being there in the companies that we've worked, right? True. Um, you're hired for a role, but always try to learn via osmosis. Absorb the world around you. Um, even if you're not paying attention, if you do something long enough, if you've been in an environment long enough, uh you will learn. Um, Absolutely. And what, what, sorry for interrupting you. What's the number one problem with juniors? 
it is their overconfidence. It is the fact that they do not know what they do not know. And they are so much confident about themselves that they're going to sell you the world. Yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, we can do it. You know, <laughs> have you noticed that before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when I look in the mirror. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought what you're saying. Uh, I, I like uh, this confidence. Uh, th- that particular, uh, you know, junior, straight out of school. Uh, so that's where, you know, mid to late uh, 30s. Um, when I was at uh, uni, uh, I pretty much learned everything I knew uh, at uni. Um, the internet wasn't in the developed form that it is today. A junior developer these days uh, will know a lot of stuff, will, will have a lot of uh, encyclopedic knowledge. Um, what they lack in experience, they've definitely uh, made up in... Uh, Stack overflow. <laughs> Stack overflow, exactly. Or uh, maybe they're not happy, what we mentioned earlier, with uh, the, the curriculum at school. Uh, I've, I've certainly seen situations where... Um, uh, p- people take it upon themselves. I'm sure they don't teach uh, React or, or Swift at schools these days. You have to get out there and learn on your own. Uh, in this case, uh, I would say probably that uh, one of the uh, important things they can do at this stage is be, be diverse. So we've analyzed uh, each level separately. Uh, be diverse in your team as possible in terms of uh, your skill set. Um, look at people that uh, don't have a high degree of overlapping skills um, and uh, great things will happen. People will complement each other much better uh, this way. Um, a small degree also of an overlapping skill set though would uh, try to get people uh, much easier out of a dead end before they uh, log into their uh, Stack Overflow account. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll, uh, let, let's move on. Um, you're established now. Uh, you've uh, got your uh, Series A. Uh, Series A, uh, really quickly, it's your first uh, institutional money. You've dealt with your, your friends, your high network, net worth individuals, your angel investors. Uh, maybe you're bootstrapped, uh, but this says you convince somebody uh, to f- to fund your startup. Right, and that somebody is not anybody. It's uh, a venture capitalist, and that means uh, that you now have at least two million dollars in the bank. And uh, what you have to do uh, is take the unit that we mentioned in the grow in the product market fit stage. Uh, Take that unit of uh, vertical uh, engineering, the back end, the front end, the designers and the QA person. Take that unit and multiply it times five, times three, times ten. I don't know, depending on whatever your uh, runway is, the money in the bank and how long you want this money to last you, right? From here on, it's, um, well, it's a very simple equation, money in the bank times how many things we can afford. And uh, then you can figure out how long that will take you. And of course, at that point, you wouldn't, uh, you would pretty much have a very good grasp and understanding of the game. So that's the reason why we wouldn't want to dive too much into that stage. 
Suffice to say that this is the stage where the product managers are introduced for the first time. Up to that point, the product manager role was shared between the CTO and the CEO, having some check and balances there between the vision of the of the founder and uh, what is technically uh, possible within a specific time span and the, with the given resources. And uh, so from here on out on Series A, uh, you are going to have your first PMs. And those are very highly um, specialized people that will going to cost you even more than a developer. So consider that as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, by the moment you've reached there, you, you kind of have made it. So feel nice about that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm going to summarize what we've covered tonight. Uh, three stages until you get to what we just talked about. Your very first stage is your prototype stage with your one developer, your journeyman, if you may. Things went well enough. You moved on. Uh, you got some funding uh, from uh, angels, high net worth uh, individuals, etc. And uh, you're building something that uh, fits the market you're operating within. Then you have five people uh, in the roles that we briefly descri- described earlier. Uh, from the bottom of the back end all the way up to design and QA. Uh, and a front end and an app developer in the mix. Once you've successfully moved on uh, to the next stage, and I wholeheartedly wish that for you, you take uh, that vertical stack of people and you multiply it three, five, X times. And uh, best of luck. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's the idea here. It is. So um, thank you for listening. Um, Excuse any mishaps. This is our first episode. We are going to get better. And uh, we hope uh, we hear back from you what you think and if you have any questions. Yes. So send us your questions by calling us on 866-370-5050 from anywhere. Email us at hello at listenshiprepeat.com. Subscribe on iTunes by searching for our podcasts or visit our website at listenshiprepeat.com. If you like what you listen to, we'd love to see you come back. You can leave a review for us on uh, iTunes. The more stars, the better. You don't have to write a review. You can just give us stars. Uh, that helps our podcast be discovered much easier because we move up in, in the, ran- the rankings. So th- Do that. Indeed. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.